Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. Luke chapter 1, today we're going to meet a guy by the name of John the Baptist. And as I get into talking about John the Baptist, I'm going to call him JB. I come out of the locker room. We're always giving people nicknames or shortening their names. But JB, we would say this about him. Man, his story matters. And that's our kind of buzz around here and catchphrase around here is when we meet you, we say, hey, your, your, your story matters because you've been created in the image of God. Jesus' blood has provided redemption. God wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit, every one of us. But when we look at JB, John the Baptist, we would go, man, his story matters. And when you start to ponder this guy, you'll realize that he was one of the most influential and most impactful men in biblical history. If you study his profile, he's an interesting dude, John. Uh, very, very interesting as we look at him. He lived in the desert in the wilderness for years. He hung out with a group called the Essenes, which were a very strict group. You had the Pharisees, Sadducees, but the Essenes, that's where John, he spent a lot of time in the desert in the wilderness. And then when you start to look at his diet and kind of what he would uh, partake of, the scripture says he eat a lot of locust and wild honey. Anybody been into that uh, over the last few days, a little locust and wild honey? Anybody watch the Georgia game yesterday, dipping locust in wild honey? That's pretty much what John lived on. If you look at his fashion wardrobe, it says that he wore camel's hair with a leather belt. Uh, I was like, man, this dude's a throwback right here. He never was on the cover of GQ. I'm not looking at JB as I get into it thinking, man, he's got a lot of Brad Pitt in him. He's more like pitting out, if you will. But he lived with one purpose. He lived to point other people to Jesus. He might not have been the coolest looking dude and might not have had like what we would look at today as being the greatest portfolio. I mean, we live in this culture today where the world tells us to chase fame and success and recognition, and JB was a contradiction to all of that. But this guy was serious about the Lord. Now, if you go back and start to look at the time of where he was born and when he was born, the nation of Israel had gone through 400 years of silence. God, God had not spoken. God had not raised up a prophet. Uh, no angels are showing up representing God, declaring God's word. Even the last book we have in the Old Testament, Malachi, Malachi concluded the Old Testament with a statement of hope. Listen to what he said. In chapter 4, verse 5, he goes, Behold, God is saying that I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day the Lord comes. 400 years before Malachi said God is promising to send a prophet, one who's going to prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to send Elijah. When you go back and study the prophets of old, Elijah was the one that was called up into heaven, but Elijah represented in the Old Testament the great, strong, prophetic, prophetic voices of God. 
And John the Baptist is going to be a a similar type to this Elijah guy. I'm going to raise up Elijah, a prophet, a great strong voice. And when you study Elijah and look at John the Baptist, they, they both lived in the wilderness. They both kind of dressed the same way. But when they showed up, they were preaching a strong message of repentance and the need to get right with God. Even in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah is looking at the people, the people of Israel who have drifted and the people of Israel who are starting to have all this idol worship go on. And he said to them, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But Elijah, every time he pretty much shows up, He's declaring, get right with God. He's the one that called down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. Ah, So there's this promise that is spoken through Malachi the prophet. And even 700 years before J.B. is born, the prophet Isaiah prophesied. Isaiah 40, verse 3, he says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. See, God had promised throughout the pages of scripture, even through Malachi, even through Isaiah and others, he had promised that a messenger, a prophet, a voice was coming that was going to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. God had promised it. Others had prophesied. So you got to stop and go, okay, okay, okay. So what do we know about John the Baptist? What do we know about JB? Where is he from? What's his story? Jesus would say in Matthew 11, 11, he would say of those born of women, mm, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Who is this guy? Who, why would Jesus make that statement about him? Who is he? Why should we study and dive into his life? And we get introduced to him in Luke chapter 1. And I think in order to appreciate JB, you've got to look back one generation and go, now who was his parents? Well, as you start to look at his parents, if you will, Zechariah was his dad. Zechariah was just an ordinary priest there in Jerusalem. He was one of 18,000 priests at that time. And and, and so his dad was like sanctified unto the Lord, set apart, doing the kingdom work of God, if you will, in his day. Then he's got a mom named Elizabeth, and Elizabeth comes from the priestly lineage of Aaron. If you go back and study the Old Testament, who was Aaron? It was Moses' older brother. So they both, Zechariah and Elizabeth, come from these priestly, uh, religious, godly families. Pretty cool to know that, right? So when you pick up verse 6 of chapter 1 of Luke, it says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. God looked down and he goes, these people live righteous before me. They honor me. They, they're serious about glorifying me with their lives. They're careful to do all and obey all of the Lord's commandments. You go, man, that's a pretty good family to come from. I mean, if you've got a mom and dad that are righteous in God's eyes and obey what God says, he's like, that's pretty good. Then we, we read they had no children. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they both were very 
old. Most scholars believe they're somewhere between 60 years old, 70 years old, whatever. And being unable to conceive in that society was a social disgrace. A lot of people believe that if you were unable to conceive or bring forth children, it was considered a curse from God. You must be a sinner. You must be out of God's favor. And so when you look at their lives, they're righteous people, but they're unable to conceive. And even though they were despised and disgraced at times by man, they continued to worship God. And we live in this day where we're so codependent at times and we're, 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 we're so able to buy other people's applause and opinion of us. And we've got to get to the place that even if we're disgraced and rejected and shunned, that we're cool just with worshiping God being enough. And they were. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they mean something to the Lord. Their story matters. When you look at the name Zechariah, write this down in your journal and in your notes. His name means Jehovah remembers. You know, we use the phrase when we study names and nomen est omen, your name is your destiny. And when you look at Zechariah's name, his name means Jehovah remembers. There's been 400 years of darkness and despair, and his parents named him Jehovah remembers. And about that same time, there was a little girl born that her parents named her Elizabeth, which means the oath of God or God keeps his word. And so as time would have it and as time would move on, Jehovah remembers Mary's God keeps his word. And can I say something to you? That God is at work even in our midst today and even in our lives today. Even though we may feel that he's distant and silent, God remembers. God keeps his word. God is faithful. God is dependable. We can trust God. Zechariah, Elizabeth. And so when you pick up in verse 8, it says that Zechariah was in the temple. He was in this holy place of God. Now, there were two main resources of that day, if you will, of where the priest and the leadership drew their information. You had the Mishnah, Mishnah, which was the oral spoken law, and then you had the Torah, which was the written law. In the Mishnah... In the oral spoken law of that day, it states that before each of the two daily services that would take place in the temple, lots were cast to determine the participants. The honor of offering incense and prayer before God was a pinnacle event in the life of a priest. And you only got to do it one time in your entire life, and many priests never got to do it. Let me, let me educate you. Don't, don't, don't miss this. When we read Malachi or Isaiah, we refer to those guys, they were prophets. A prophet was a person who had been anointed by God to speak to people on behalf of God. 
A priest was a person anointed that was to go to God in prayer on behalf of the people. Y'all got me? When we look at these lives, it's good to know this. A prophet was always coming on behalf of God to speak to the people from God, but the priests were always going to God to pray and make intercession on behalf of the people. Zechariah is a priest. Zechariah was selected. And this is such a huge moment in his life, such a pinnacle event. He is serving in the temple of God. I've been there I've been there to where the temple was. I've been to the Wailing Wall, the West Wall. I've been there. And he's going into this holy presence of God to offer prayer and petition and intercession and incense to God on behalf of the people. But as he was praying, the text says, an angel of the Lord appeared. Now, now, again, God has not raised up a prophet and sent a prophet or a spokesperson or an angel in 400 years. This is the first time a messenger of God has appeared in 400 years. They haven't heard a fresh word from God in 400 years. And Gabriel approaches Zacharias while he's praying. Gabriel, the angel, says to him, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife will have a son. You shall call his name John. Think about it. Your prayer has been heard. I'm sure for Zechariah, who's somewhere between 60 and 70 years old, I'm sure that he had prayed many prayers over his last 50, 60 years. And, and, but I'm sure based on the text that there was one prayer buried inside his heart that he couldn't just let go of, that he had prayed more often than any prayer. Lord, would you bless me and my wife with a child? Would you bless us with a, a child We've been disgraced and made fun of. I mean, come on. I'm pressed in. And while he's praying, the angel says, your, 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 your prayer has been heard. And once it became impossible physically to conceive and to have children, I'm sure that their hopes had somewhat died and the prayer had faded. You ever been there? We give up praying after 40 seconds. If we're really good on a certain day, we might make it 40 minutes. But the thought of praying 40 hours, it would go, no, that, that's too long. Or 40 days? This guy's been praying for 40 plus years, pressing into the Lord. Stop, stop, stop. What prayer? Have you stopped praying? No, no, no. That one prayer that you thought was your prayer before the Lord where you were really pressing in, whether it was for a family member's salvation or for that child to really get it or for that loved one to experience cleansing and healing, what prayer have you stopped praying? What, what prayer... Do you feel that, mm, I don't think God's going to answer that one? 
No, in your heart, I mean, do you still have confidence in God even though your prayer hasn't been answered? I've seen people throw in the towel and give up and just quit and abandon prayer altogether. Your prayer, your, 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 your prayer has been heard. I would write this down. I was pondering this thought this week and it rocked my world. God often uses people who cannot take credit for what he does. God often uses people who cannot take credit for what he does. They're old. They're unable. But a lot of times in our journey, if we're not careful, we think it's about us. We think we did something. And when the angel Gabriel appears, he is telling him that God is about to do something in and with and through you, and you can't take credit for it. God is a jealous God. The angel looks at Zechariah and says, hey, I got a name for your son. You're to name him John. Well, in that day, they would name their sons after themselves or they would pick out the names. Oliver, I'm going to name my son this to keep with family and heritage. And he goes, no, you're, you're, you're not. You're going to name him John. Jehovah remembers is married to God keeps his word and they're told they're going to have a son whose name is John that means the grace of God. That means Yahweh is gracious. I'm about to give you a son and it's going to be totally grace. The son born to you is going to be grace. 400 years of silence. And God goes, let me tell you, I'm about, I'm about to give birth to grace. I'm going to build on this for a bit. It's too good. Even verses 14 and through 17 says, this grace gift of God, I'm telling you, it's going to be something special. Many, this is what the text reads in Luke 1, starting at 14 there. He says, many are going to rejoice at his birth, which means they're going to rejoice because he's the promised messenger that I'm sending. He goes on to say, he's going to be great before the Lord, which means God is going to use him greatly. He will not drink wine or strong drink. He, he's going to be consecrated to the Lord, and he's going to be a sober-thinking guy. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means God is anointing this guy as his messenger. It's God's child. He's just going to use you to have a role in it. Even in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, the Lord, the Savior that is coming, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, he's coming, says the Lord of host. I mean, do you understand what Gabriel is announcing to Zechariah? He's basically saying John is God's messenger for the coming of 
the Lord, the grace of God is going to usher in the salvation of the Lord. I'm going to allow grace to be born, but when grace comes, grace is just going to point people towards salvation. John is going to be used by God to point people to Jesus. I'm going to give you grace because you need grace. Grace is going to be crucial in your salvation encounter because it's going to be by grace that you're going to be saved through faith. The law did not bring salvation. Grace will bring salvation. I haven't spoken for 400 years I've been giving y'all some gap time to let you know that the law can't save you, but grace is coming. Grace is coming. JB, he, he, he's the child that Israel has been longing for. He's the child that these prophets spoke of because when that child comes, it means the Savior is on the horizon. Do y'all get this out of Luke chapter 1? Remember last week when I said the, bi the Bible is shallow enough that the babyest of Christians will never drown, but it's deep enough that the greatest theologian will never touch bottom? I promise you, I get into the Word and I'm blown away. I'm blown away with the imagery and the depth that God continues to show us. Zechariah? doubts. How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man. My wife is old. We're both along in years. Notice what Gabriel says to him. Verses 19 and 20, Gabriel looks at him and says, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I've been sent by God to speak to you and bring you good news. Mm, but you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my word, which will be fulfilled in its proper time. Gabriel looks at Zechariah and he says, basically, you know, you, you know who you're talking to? God sent me to speak to you to declare good news to you, and you don't believe. So as a result, for the next nine months, shut up. <laughs> you can't talk. While all these other people around him are rejoicing and praising God and celebrating the fact that God's about to do something, and they're celebrating with Elizabeth He's just going to be sitting there silent. Even after Mary gets her word and she, she's going to go and, and talk to Elizabeth, I'm like, oh, watch what happens. I'm like, you ain't going to be able to say anything. Here's a couple of things I wrote down. Principal thought, you got to trust God's promises. You got to trust God's promises. When God promises that he's going to do something, can I tell you something? God does what he says he's going to do. If we took God at his word and go, you know what? I trust you. God, I, I trust that you're always going to do what you say you're going to do. I, I'm not saying it's going to be in the timing that I want it to happen, but you're always going to do what you say you're going to do. 
Another thing I wrote down as I was studying through this, Derry, is that the voices that God uses the most are the ones who truly believe him. The voice that God uses and the voices that God raises up to represent him are the ones who believe. Not the ones who have the most money or the most popularity or the most education or the most degrees. God uses donkeys to give divinity a ride. Let me say it again. God will use people who cannot take credit for what he does. As I was pondering this, it's also good to know that J.B., John the Baptist, was a relative to Jesus. And when Mary got word and she went to visit Elizabeth, ah, when Mary was told by the angel of the Lord that she was going to conceive and this miraculous thing was going to happen, and she goes to Elizabeth, Luke 141 says, the baby inside of Elizabeth's womb, it, 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 it leaped with joy, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. J.B. is a relative of Jesus. Grace is, dry, is directly related to salvation. Do you see how brilliant God is in giving us this picture, Cindy? Grace is directly related and connected with salvation. Verse 63 says that immediately after J.B. was born, Zechariah wrote these words on a tablet. His name is John. The text says immediately his mouth was opened and he began praising God and he prophesied these words over his son. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. Zechariah and Elizabeth recognized the Lord's calling on their son. They embraced it, and they encouraged J.B. to follow God's will. This is crucial for us. We must focus on the God uniqueness in our children. We must do everything we can to draw out the uniqueness that God has placed in their life and to raise them up and point them in a way that they should go for the glory of God. Being parents and given the, the privilege and responsibility of parenting is like how can I, Lord, see what you're doing in this life and help point this life toward you for your glory? The greatest thing that we can do as parents is to encourage our kids to walk with God and to worship God and to obey the Lord. And they did that. Hey, we see the uniqueness in you. And we're going to do everything we can to see this God uniqueness and this God anointing and this God call. We, we, we want to see you flourish in it. Verse 80 says, John grew. He became strong in spirit. 
And he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Many believe that by now, Zechariah and Elizabeth had died. Again, he's out in the desert, in the wilderness, with a sect of followers of God called the Essenes. But prophets, when you study the Old Testament, prophets were oftentimes known to use this time of isolation in the desert to grow spiritually to allow their affection and their attention and their hearts to be turned toward heaven. It was in this time of isolation, removed from all the the culture and presence and uh, distractions, they would press into the Lord. And we're called to be in the world, but not to be of the world. And we're called to separate ourselves and come out from amongst the world. And God, God, here's a truth for you. He's got a purpose for your life. But we must spend time with him if we're going to hear his voice and his message. You can't live on borrowed convictions and hand-me-downs. You can't just get addicted to podcasts and other people's thoughts. If you're ever going to have a breakthrough with the Lord, you're going to have to spend time with the Lord. You're going to have to get away. You're going to have to eliminate distractions. You're going to have to become silent before the Lord. John the Baptist only lived about 33 years, but he stayed on mission. Yeah, he lived in the wilderness most of his life. He only had two, maybe three years of public ministry himself. He took the Nazarite vow. He kept it simple. He wasn't weighed down with all this stuff of the world He's like, man, I got to obey God. He didn't allow his personal desires or even the voices of other people to take him away from what God had called him to do. He lived with determination. He lived with purpose. And I pray that that's what you want. Man, I want to glorify God. I want to know God. It's going to require time of of staying in the wilderness a little bit. I'm going to have to remove myself from the noise and chaos around me. I won't share a truth with you. God will give you the power to keep your heart fixed on him if you will choose to tap into that power. There's going to be so many things that will compete with the influence of the Lord in your life, but God says you will receive power. God has promised us Holy Spirit, and when we stay locked in with the Lord, he goes, I'll give you the power to keep your affection and heart Set on me, but you're going to have to want it. There were so many people that followed John the Baptist. He had a following. A lot of people liked OJB. They liked to hear him preach. They loved the firmness in his message of repentance. But in all of the applause and the attention and everything that would come his way, he never became proud. He never became arrogant. He just pointed people to Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, even John the Baptist would say, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come the one who is more powerful than I am. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and 
fire. Hey, John, you're the man, dude. You're a rock star. Look at you. We want to hang with you. It's not about me. He would even say in John chapter 3 where we have it recorded where he says, hey, 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 hey guys, y'all are trying to make me a rock star and y'all are trying to make me something I was never intended to be. Man, I got to decrease so that he can increase. Everything about my ministry has got to die out so that his ministry will flourish. John, you're not a rock star pastor? No. There's only one rock star, and his name's Jesus. He's the rock. But we live in this culture where we love to celebrate, elevate, and applaud man, and it doesn't work. God is opposed to the proud. God uses humility and obedience. John, you stayed on mission. John, you pointed people to Jesus across Loganville. Your mission is to point people to Jesus. Your mission in life is to walk with God in such an intimate way that God uses you to point people to Jesus. Is that why you exist? I'm just, I'm here to walk with God and worship God and glorify God and point people to Jesus. But don't you want to be the man and don't you want to have all this great credibility like nationally and inter- I just want to point people to Jesus. Is that your heart's desire? So John, what happened to you? Uh, I kept telling the truth. But it cost me my life. Say what? I just kept telling the truth, preaching the truth, even though it meant death. So, so, so you died? How'd you die? Well, I, I, I didn't back down from the political and religious voices and leaders of that day. And I was trying to point people to Jesus and preach a message of truth and uh Herod was in charge, and he hooks up with his brother Philip's wife, and he takes Philip's wife to be his, his girl. And I told Herod, what you're doing is not lawful. It's wrong before God. And Herod got ticked and imprisoned me, and I was decapitated. So you spoke the truth all the way up to the end, even though you realized it was going to probably cost you your life. Yeah, because my mission was never about me. My my mission was never to see how long I could live. My mission was to point people to Jesus. That that was your mission? That was was my mission. I've been walking through sickness and illness and all kinds of things with friends and family members for years and even here recently. And I started... I shared this with Barb. I said, you know what's interesting? Like some of these conversations that you have with people, it's almost like their goal in life is to not die. My goal is we got to do everything I can to not die. Can I tell you that the success rate is zero on that game plan? 
If the goal in life, Dean, is to not die, then every person that's ever lived before us fail. The goal in life is to be fully alive, to flourish in our faith, and to be useful to God. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to make the day count for the glory of God. I, I want my life to count until he says, give me back my breath. I just want to live an intentional life, a purposeful life, a missional life. Might die. No, it's not might. I will die. It's just how I get dead that sometimes might concern me. <laughs> right? Being dead does not scare me. That getting dead sometimes concerns me. I wonder how that's going to happen. They're going to chop your head off like they did JB. I'm like, mm. I want that line that we're you fall asleep at night and just, he didn't wake up. I like that line a lot better than the Bonhoeffer line of being hung or the John the Baptist line. I mean, come on, let's just, but in his heart, he cared about one thing. I want to complete the mission and assignment that God's given me, and I want to point people to Jesus. And I think as we ponder even J.B.'s, profile in Luke 1. We've got to ask ourselves the question, like, am I living a life that is consecrated to the Lord? Am I walking in this anointing of God where God has really set me apart for his, his glory and use? Am I living a missional life? Am I intentional? Am, am I really being the person that God wants me to be? Am I doing what God wants me to do? I'll never forget that conversation years ago with my buddy Scott Sanderson, who is with the Lord. He's like, hey, let's talk later today about how do you know if you're doing what God wants you to do. And as I prayed through that day, I shared it with our staff. It's like, God goes, you got to go deeper in the question. And we sat down that night, and Scott goes, gosh, man, let's talk about how do you know if you're doing what God wants you to do? And I said, Scott, there's a different layer to it. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, you can be doing what God has called you to do, but the question is, are you doing it the way he wants it done? And we live in this culture of all this information with Google and everything else and conferences and everything else and podcasts and everything else. And if we're not careful, even though our hearts may be yeah, I want to I honor God. We end up doing it the way somebody else wants us to do it. And we don't get with God in the wilderness. And we don't spend this time pressing into the Lord. And we end up duplicating what somebody else is doing. And God goes, I created you to be an original. Don't die a copy. Let me do something original with you. Am I living missional? Am I living intentional? Am I Am I really living it out for the glory of God? It's going to be a great journey going through Luke. I can't wait as we continue to dive week after week after week into the richness of what God has given us.